You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. How we doing, Trace? How we doing this morning? Man, beautiful day. What a beautiful day out there. So thankful to have each and every one of you in this room with us today. Also want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. Maybe you listen to this at a later date. Uh, regardless, we're thankful that you're tuning in to join this conversation. Also want to extend a special welcome to all of our guests, many new people that I got to meet this morning coming, maybe coming to ch- uh, church for the first time, not just Trace. And so we're incredibly thankful to have you with us. Well, hey, I got a lot to cover today, and so I'm going to jump right in with a question. Have you ever lost something only to find that it was right in front of you the whole time, right? Anybody ever been like, oh, where are my, where are my sunglasses? And somebody says, they're, they're on your head. Or maybe it's, where are my keys? Where are my keys? They were in your pocket or maybe in your purse. Where's my car? You're driving it right now. Hopefully that's never happened to you, but do you know that in the New Testament, Specifically in the Gospels, when, when Jesus is talking about people who don't know him, who are far from him, he describes them as being lost. And some have suggested, when I say some, really ministry leaders that I know, some ministry leaders, some pastors that I know have suggested, well, shouldn't we use a different word to describe people who don't know Jesus other than lost? I mean, is lost kind of, isn't that kind of a demeaning word? And I think I'd have to push back. Because I don't think I would agree with that. I mean, think about it for just a moment. If, if Jesus is not the reference point of your life, then you're just kind of wandering through life. I mean, even the author of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so if Jesus is not the reference point of our life, then we're just kind of wandering through life, which means we're, we're lost. But you need to know this. Jesus is really clear that he loves lost people. Like he is crystal clear throughout the Gospels that he absolutely loves lost people and even goes as far as to say that one of his main purposes for even coming to the earth was to seek and save that which was lost. Luke 9, 19, 10. And because this was his greatest priority, you have to, I mean, we'd probably guess that there were different ways in which he wanted to present that to people. He, he wanted people to know, I mean, if this is the primary way or the primary purpose in which he's come to earth to seek and save that which was lost, then he's probably going to allow that to be woven through his teaching. And potentially, arguably, one of the greatest ways that he did that was by telling a story. We know these as parables. And potentially, I would argue that one of the most scandalous, if not the most scandalous parable that Jesus ever taught was actually about lost people. And you know this, and I know this parable. If you grew up in church, you know this as the parable of the prodigal son, also known as the parable of the lost son. But that's how we know this parable on the western side of the world. What's interesting, if you were to go over in the eastern side of the world, Middle East area, Jerusalem, They know this parable as the parable of the running father, which is incredibly important for our time today. And so today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up, turn them on to stay up to speed with us as we read through this parable together. But before we jump into it, I want to set this 
the stage. And I'm going to take some time here. I just want to let you know this up front. I'm going to take the time because I'm going to dig into some pretty deep cultural context. Because if you don't understand some of the underlying things that are happening when Jesus tells this parable, you're going to miss the significance of the point that he's trying to make. And so we get, we kind of kind of see the scene be set for us in the first two verses of this chapter. In the first two verses of this chapter, we're actually going to see the specific audience in which Jesus is going to address, the specific reason why Jesus decides to tell the parable, the story that he tells, is because of who's in his audience. And so to set the stage for it, you need to know that at this point in Jesus's ministry, the word's gotten out. The word's gotten out that this guy's healing people. He's healing lepers. He's casting out demons. And there's whispers of the, the possibility that he could be the Messiah. And so people are coming from everywhere to hear Jesus teach. But there are two specific groups of people that are in the audience that Jesus is going to isolate when he teaches this parable. And we read about that in the first two verses right here. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners... Another translation of the Bible says that people of doubtful reputation often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So what Jesus does here and what Luke makes a point of emphasizing is Jesus takes role and he understands two primary audiences that he has. And he also understands that both of them have a skewed perspective of their Heavenly Father. And so Jesus is going to address them both. But again, just to dig, on, dig down a little bit deeper on some cultural context, the people that are in his audience, these notorious sinners, are people that have already been associated with Jesus that has put him on the outs with the other religious leaders, the Pharisees. And you'll notice throughout the Gospels that these religious leaders will emphasize the fact that he's eating with them. And the reason why that is emphasized is because when you're eating with people, you are associating yourself with them socially. These are your people. Which is why I would also argue, side note, that if these are the kind of people that Jesus associated with, these notorious sinners, if there were ever a church that isn't welcoming to people that Jesus would have called friends, I would encourage you to think of that church as no longer a church, but a country club. This is why those doors need to always be completely wide open to people, no matter how messy their life is, no matter how broken their life is. Because as soon as we stop doing that, we're no longer a church. We're just a country club. Now, you'll often notice that tax collectors are set aside from even the sinners of the day. And again, just to help you to understand who's in the audience and who's Je who Jesus is going to be speaking to when he tells this parable, you need to understand why these guys were hated so much because even the sinners, the other notorious sinners outside of the tax collectors, along with the Pharisees, would have been like, why are these guys here? Like even the sinners were judging these guys. Like, why are you, Jesus, why are you allowing these guys to be here? And I want, to, I want you to... I want to help you to understand the significance of this. And here's the way that I'll describe it. During this time, during the time of Jesus, Rome was absolutely massive. Okay, Rome was huge. It would go from England until India. And so in order to keep kind of a constraint on the people in that big of an area, because imagine like if a revolt 
broke out in any of these regions in between India and England, it would have been days, if not weeks, for them to get there. I mean, they didn't have helicopters. They couldn't send missiles to kind of put out the revolt. And so the only way that they could make sure that they were keeping everyone underneath their rule was to have a massive army, a massive army. And the only way to pay for this massive army was to collect a lot of taxes. And so these Roman soldiers would find people within the Jewish communities that would collect taxes for them. But you also need to understand this. The Roman soldiers did whatever they wanted to. They took whatever they wanted to. It wasn't uncommon, an uncommon practice for them to rape wives and daughters, to murder for no reason other than sport and to make sure that everybody kept order and were obedient to Roman rule. When you came into certain villages, you would see people that were crucified on the side of the streets to remind you, hey, this is what will happen to you if you decide to cause a revolt. And so they kept, they kept the Jewish people underneath their thumb. So now imagine experiencing that in your community, and one of your neighbors signs up and says, I'll help you guys out. I'll go and collect taxes from my friends, even my family and my neighbors so that you guys can continue the atrocities that you've been practicing for so long. Maybe the equivalent would have been like a Jewish person joining Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. And so when these guys showed up, When these guys showed up, everybody was like, why are they here? Even the disciples of Jesus, Jesus, why are you letting these guys be here? And Jesus wants them to experience exactly what he wants everyone else to experience when he tells this parable. And then again, we have the religious leaders. And these weren't just any religious leaders that were in the audience. These were the scribes and Pharisees. These are the people you didn't want to get into a a Bible debate with. These guys had the Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible. It would have been a regular practice for a Pharisee. The books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they made it a regular practice as a religious leader, as a Pharisee, to make sure that the sinners knew their place. And they wanted people to know how righteous they were. They would count their steps on Sabbath to make sure that they weren't overdoing it. These guys were part of the elite class of the elite class. And they're in Jesus' audience. And so what Jesus is going to do by telling the story, do not miss it, is he is going to deconstruct their world. He's going to deconstruct everything they thought they knew about God. And then he's going to reconstruct it through a story of redemption. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Jesus says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, Dad, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now already there's a lot taking place. The first thing you probably should know is that when the Pharisees hear Jesus begin this parable, they're already remembering. I've heard a parable like this before. This was not a new type of parable. If, it, if you were a Pharisee, you likely grew up underneath a rabbi that would have told a very similar parable. And so they're thinking, hey, I think I know where Jesus is going with this. So keep that in mind. 
But what you also need to understand is in the patriarchal society that we would have found this man in at this time, as Jesus is telling this story, it would have been equivalent to saying, Dad, I don't care if you're alive or dead. Just give me what's mine and I'm out of here. So already we see that there's an estranged relationship between this son and his father. And he's saying, Dad, I don't care about you. I just care about what you can provide for me. So just give me what's rightfully mine, and I'm out. And to help you to feel the significance, if you can keep that slide up there, that passage, for just a moment. When you look at the word wealth there, it says, So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. His father agreed to divide his wealth. The Greek word for wealth there is bios, which literally means life. It's everything that encompasses your life. So let me read it this way. So his father agreed to divide his life between his sons, which means the son is asking the father, listen, to tear himself apart. Feel the significance of this, because if you don't, you'll miss it. Verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. My man went to Las Vegas, right? So about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire, uh, to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs started to look good to him. But no one gave him anything. I want to make a side note here, just an observation in my own life and in the lives of others. One of the things that I've noticed is that God, in his grace, sometimes will allow us to exhaust ourselves to absolutely exhaust ourselves, pursuing what we think is going to bring fulfillment, but ultimately we find out it was all futile. And God, in his grace, I believe, allows us to, to pursue those things, to exhaust ourselves in those things, trying to find that fulfillment that we never found. What we thought we were looking for is not what we found. And oftentimes it's that moment that leads us back to faith. And so God, in his grace, I believe, allows some of us some of us, maybe not all of us, but some of, some of us just to exhaust ourselves pursuing things that will never bring what we thought they were going to bring. Has anybody else ever been there? Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses. Can I pause there? And just a side note for anyone in here, or maybe if you're watching online, does anybody need to come to their senses today? It's a sincere question. It's a sincere question. It's a question I wish I would add more people asking me in my younger life. Do you just need to come to your senses today? Because you know. I mean, you might be able to identify with this guy on some things where it's like, I thought this was going to give me something, but it's not what it provided. I thought this was going to bring me fulfillment, but it's just made me feel more lost. If that's you, I just want to encourage you. It's never too late to make a change. It's never too late to turn around and go in a different direction. And so if you need to come to your senses today, I want to encourage you to do that. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. 
Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's practicing his speech already. Anybody ever practice a speech? Mom, I apologize ahead of time uh, when I say this, but I remember one time we had won. I was the captain of our football team. We had won a big football game, and my mom was in another city visiting her sister. I'm like, guys, you know, come, come on over to the house. And what I thought was going to be like 15 or 20 people ended up being like 100. And I remember watching my neighbors come out on their porch and looking at these like cars all up and down you know, the street, and I'm thinking, I've got to prepare a speech because my mom's going to hear about this. Keep in mind the two primary groups that Jesus is speaking to, the, the misfits, the sinners, and kind of the spiritually elite. Because the spiritual elite, the Pharisees, when they hear this, again, they've likely heard a parable like this before, and they're thinking, okay, this kid's going to get it. He's going to try to go home, and the father's going to put him in his place. And just so you know, maybe a way that this would have been told before Jesus told this parable that the Pharisees would have recognized is that the father one day would have been down in the marketplace, and he would have seen his son, and he would have walked up to his son and slapped him in front of everybody for disregarding him as the patriarch of... <clears throat> of the family, which is exactly what the Pharisees said. Yep, that's what he deserves. And so that's what the Pharisees are thinking that's going to happen. But also think about the other group in the audience, the, the people who have made a mess out of their life, full of mistakes and brokenness. And maybe they're identifying with this son in this moment in a different way. Maybe they're thinking, what's the father going to do? And maybe some of them before, it's like, I've been there. I finally realized that I was making a wreck of my life, and I tried to go home and offer some restitution. I tried to go home and see if my folks or my brother or sister or friends would give me a second chance and only to be turned away. And so my guess is that both groups at this point, up, in, up until this point in the story, are waiting for the rejection of the Father. How's this going to go down? And so... <laughs> The religious leaders probably at this point kind of got a smug on their face. Get them, Jesus. Get them. This is it. This is the time. Show them what it's about. Show them, yep, show them, show them what he deserves. And what he says next, I cannot say this with more emphasis. What he says next blows their mind. Verse 20. So the son returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, just slow down and let it all sink in. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran. <laughs> he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. There is so much that you need to understand here as this is a depiction of your heavenly father. The only way that the father could have seen him coming from a long way off is because he was waiting. He was waiting and he was watching 
And when he sees him coming from a long way off, he takes off running. And you need to understand this. Uh, The patriarch of the family did not run. That was shameful for the patriarch of the family to run after something that that brought shame on him. Other people were supposed to run to him. He didn't run to anybody. But to this wayward son who already divided the family and took the father's heart because of his decision to say, hey, I don't care about you. I just care about what you can give me. The father is waiting and watching. And not only does he run to him, but he embraces him. And you have, oh man, you have to be the center in the audience who starts to take a couple deep breaths and thinks to themselves, is that possible? Jesus is that really is that really the posture of of my heavenly father is that available is that option available for me that no matter how far i've run no matter how far from god i've gone that the father would still welcome me home and not just welcome me home but in a scandalous sort of way that he would come running after me even though i've broken his heart And the center in the audience is overwhelmed with emotion. This is a possibility for me? As the religious leaders are thinking, are you kidding me? Like if there were ever a story that Jesus told that likely got him crucified, this is one of them. This is the kind of story that would get you killed. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Like... You got this one completely wrong. This kid, no, 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 no. This kid needed to be judged. This kid, maybe even if the father allowed for some restitution, hey, you're going to live outside of the family estate for a while. You're going to pay back what you took from me. And then maybe you can come back, but that's not, that's not the depiction that Jesus gave us of our father in heaven. If you're new here to Trace, we have what we call four mantras. Maybe you could call them core values. We call them mantras. And the four mantras are this, that we elevate truth and grace, which means when you come in here, when we teach and we preach, we want our sermons to be full of grace and truth because that's what Jesus came full of. We read in Gospel of John chapter 1. So we elevate truth and grace, that's one. We embrace those far from God, that's two. We extend hope when life hurts, that's three. And we empower everyone to share the gospel because if you're a follower of Jesus, everyone is a minister of the gospel. But the one that I want to focus in on is that we embrace those far from God. And the reason why I want to hone in on that is because that mantra came from this parable. I mean, we could say, hey, we love lost people. You know, we want to go after lost people. We want more people to get saved in Jesus, but we want to represent the heart of the Father in this statement. We embrace. We embrace those who are far from God. And if you don't like that, then you're going to struggle with this parable. You're going to struggle with how Jesus is trying to help you to see the heart of your heavenly Father because he was waiting and he was watching. And he ran, and he embraced. His son said to him in verse 21, 
His son said to him, Father, I have sinned. Here he goes. Here's the speech he's been practicing the whole way home. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And watch this. Watch. The father doesn't even acknowledge his speech. His father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and yeah, the calf, the, the fatted calf. Go get the fatted calf. And you need to understand this was one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive thing the father could have done because this fattened calf would have been their prized possession. Go get the fattened calf. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Trace, you half. <laughs> you have to understand the scandal of grace that we have just witnessed. The father wouldn't even acknowledge the speech. The son is ready. Listen, the son is ready to bring restitution, but the father doesn't allow it. So many of us, including myself, so many of us underestimate how much our heavenly father delights. And we don't use that word very often. He delights in saving us. And the further, some of you are going to be able to identify with this, with this more than others. The further that we run, been there. The further that we run from the Father, the more that we feel like we've got to pay something back, don't we? The more that we feel like, hey, well, i got to make it right. i got to fix some things first. Don't miss it. The Father says, you're not going to earn your way back here. Somebody needs to hear that. Listen, you're not going to earn your way back. Ready? Because I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. There's nothing that I need you to do. Friends, this is the scandalous grace of God. That no restitution is required because he already took care of that. Specifically, he took care of that through the resurrection of Jesus that we're going to be celebrating next week. The resurrection of Jesus was all the restitution that any of us ever needed. Our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father is willing to wreck the roof for us. If you missed last week, I want you to encourage you to go back and listen to the message that I preached last week when we talked about how we want to be friends and followers of Jesus that are willing to wreck the roof, whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. But don't miss the parallel in this story because your heavenly father was willing to wreck the roof so that he could give you an avenue to come back home. He sent his son to not just die but to experience one of the most excruciating deaths known to mankind in a Roman crucifixion, he wrecked the roof for you so that you could come back home, no matter how far you were from him. He paved the way for you to come back home. No matter how far you've fallen, no matter how messy your life has been or has become, if you will turn, the Bible calls this repent. If you will turn and start making your way back home, if you'll start making your way back to the Father, He is not just ready to forgive you, He's ready to embrace you. He's waiting and He's watching your every move. And if you'll turn and move in His direction once again, He's going to come running after you. No restitution required.
You just have to accept the Father's love. It's the scandalous grace of God. I'm not done with my sermon because the parable's not over yet, but I want to pause here. If there's anybody in this room, or if you're watching online, you want to reach out to us online, and you're ready to make that turn, we want to give you that opportunity today. If you'll just trust Jesus as the leader and Lord of your life, if you'll understand that he paid your restitution and that's all that was required, you don't have to go fix anything first. You don't have to get your life figured out first. You don't need to come up with a speech. But if you'll turn and move in the direction of your father and ask for forgiveness, he will freely give it to you. And the religious leaders and the spiritually elite, and this still happens today, unfortunately, in the church, they still want to tell you, no, there's, there's more. You've got to do more than that. But Jesus says, no, you don't. No, you don't. So after I'm done, I've I'm got a few more things I want to say. After I'm done, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision to make Jesus the leader and Lord of your life. Maybe it's the first time you've made that, or maybe you just need to rededicate your life to Jesus. And next week, we're going to invite you, if you, if you're want, if you want and you're ready and you're willing, to be baptized on Easter Sunday. And so I'll come back to that, but I want to let you know that I want to give you that opportunity. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and pray. I'm not done. I'm going to keep preaching, but let me just pray. God, if there's somebody in this room right now who's feeling it and they know they need to turn, they know they need to come to their senses, they've already exhausted the other options, God, would you, would you empower them? God, would you fill them with courage? God, would you help them to see your heart through this story that you're ready to embrace them? They don't need to clean up their life first. It's just as they are. They can come home just as they are. God, would you give them confidence and courage to make that step today? And collectively as a church, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, now many of you know that the parable is not over because there's a big brother that gets introduced. And this is where Jesus makes a very strong shift because even though up till now he's still been preaching to the religious leaders, I think what we just read was really for the sake of the sinners in the audience, but now he's really going to hammer something home for the religious leaders in the audience that think, no, 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 that's not the posture of our God. He's, he's going to make you want to have to go through these things. You've got to go through these rituals and cleansing things. You've got to figure out, you've got to fix some stuff in your life. And Jesus wants to point something out to them specifically. And so to do that, he introduces an older brother. And so this older brother comes home. And when he comes home, he's starting to take his boots off in the barn before he goes in. And he can hear, it's like, man, there's a lot of people. They're like, there's partying going on in there. They're dancing. What? Well, they obviously weren't Baptists because they're dancing. And so it's like, what, what is happening in the house? And so he looks over to one of the servants and he says, man, what's happening in the house? And the servant says, you didn't hear? Your brother's home, man. And your dad, he's, he's pulling out all the stops. He got, bro, he brought the fattened calf out. I mean, we're, we're throwing it down tonight. Like, you need to get in there. But the older brother, he's indignant. Verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. It's still the father's heart to bring even the older brother into the family. But he replied, all these years, dad, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. 
Yet when this son of yours, wouldn't even call him his brother, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? Really, dad? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything that I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. You see, Trace, if we don't compare and contrast the younger and the older brother, we will miss the radical grace of God. We have the younger brother who cared about what the father's what, about the father's things, what the father could offer, but he did not care about the father's heart. And then we have this older brother who cared about what the father could offer. Dad, you didn't give me anything for me and my friends. Cared about what the father could offer, but did not care about the father's heart. They both wanted what the father could offer, but neither cared about what the father wanted. And if Jesus had the time, do you know what I think he might have said in this parable? Do you know what I think actually would have represented what the father really wanted? I think the father really wanted for the older brother to go after his younger brother. Trace, I always want to, I always want to be a church that represents the father's heart. I want us to go after people who are far from God. And when people decide to turn and make their way back to God, I want us to embrace them. Embrace them. I want this mantra that we embrace those far from God to be more true now than it has ever been in the life of this church. But don't miss this, and I'm getting ready to conclude. Ready? Listen to me. You cannot brace those that you're not looking for. We cannot embrace those that we're not looking for. And so let me bring it back from where I was last week. Will you work with us to be the kind of people, the kind of friends and the kind of followers of Jesus that are willing to wreck the roof so that we can get people to Jesus? Next week, we have a unique opportunity together as a church. Yes, it's Easter, but it's not just any Easter. It's the Easter falling, I'm sorry, following one of the most difficult times in people's lives. This last year has been hellacious for so many people. And maybe invitations that you've extended in the past or maybe invitations even now that you think would get rejected. Maybe they wouldn't. I want you to wreck the roof. I want you to extend more invitations to an Easter service than you ever have in your entire life. Because maybe now, maybe now God's already doing something in them. Maybe now God took this past year and showed them there's gotta be more to life than this. Don't dismiss the same felt needs that you have experienced to what many people, if not most people, have also experienced. There's got to be more to life than this. I mean, really, is this it and the lack of connection and the lack of purpose and maybe God opening their eyes for the first time because it's like, I don't know if tomorrow is promised. I don't know if there's going to be another global pandemic that comes out of nowhere and maybe the next one's five times as deadly. Wreck the roof. Use your influence and extend more invitations than you ever have because the scandalous grace of God is something that everyone should get to experience. And then they can determine whether or not they accept the Father's love. They can determine whether they turn around and come back home. Let me pray for us.
and we're going to enter into a time of response. Father, man, this, this parable, like you wrecked me all over again, just digging, digging into it once again. God, just the fact that this father's heart for his sons represents your heart. So often we keep you at such a distance. I mean, we can't imagine you being the kind of heavenly father that would come after us, be waiting on us, to be watching for us to make the turn to come back so that you could embrace us and not so that we could bring restitution, not so that we could come and have to fix things before we were welcome home, but God, that you would already take care of everything that was needed so that we could simply just come back into your presence once again. God, I pray that this wrecks us. I pray that this motivates us. I pray that... We get, we get incredibly just tenacious with our invitations this week because we want others to experience the scandalous grace, God. Put people on our mind. Help us to think of people we haven't thought of in a long time and just extend invitations so that people can at least have the opportunity to be welcomed home. So God, would you move in and through us powerfully this week. I pray for the hearts of those that will receive those invitations. God, that you would already be working on them and through them. And God, help something to happen. It doesn't, we don't have to understand it, but help something to happen in their life where they're, they just kind of concede in a good way. Internally, they just kind of surrender and they, and they come. So God, partner with us this week as we do that. We don't celebrate a story next week. We celebrate resurrection power. Help us not to minimize it. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, there's a very specific thing that's happening. This is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And on Palm Sunday, we read that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And something significant that you should know about that is when a king wanted to surrender, he would come in on a donkey. If he wanted to come in and establish power and prestige, he would ride in on a colt. And so here we have our king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey because he was ready to surrender his life so that you could come home. Don't miss it. Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're going to invite you to celebrate what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. And if you're new here to Trace, we have tables around the room. If you see where the crosses are, there's going to be a table there, and you can go, and there are little communion cups, and in those communion cups is a wafer that represents the body of Jesus that hung on a cross. Again, don't miss the devotion Dr. T is going to bring to us digitally online on Friday as we remember the cross. And we take some of the juice that represented his blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, we want to encourage you to celebrate with us in that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, a couple things. You can sit in your chair if you want and just process through everything that was said. Maybe you're here and maybe you didn't even want to come. Maybe you're guilted into coming today. And by the way, if you want to guilt people into coming next week, go for it. Like use it, everything you got. But maybe... Your other option could be coming up here and grabbing one of those towels. And if you'll come up here and grab one of those towels, it lets us know that you want to make that decision. And next week, 
during the celebration of resurrection power, you can get baptized. I can't imagine a better day to get baptized than Easter Sunday. It's even possible that some of you in here, maybe you got baptized in the past for all the wrong reasons you felt pressured into. Maybe to be a member of a church, you had to get baptized, all the wrong reasons, and maybe you just want to reestablish that for yourself because now you're ready to come home. You're ready to come to your senses. And so if you want to make that decision and rededicate your life, then we'd welcome that as well. And so today we've decided to have a little bit longer of a worship set. We're going to sing three songs. And during that time, we want you to just worship. We want you to both embrace, but allow yourselves to be embraced by the Father's love. And if you want to come up and grab one of those towels, just make sure you come find us out at Next Step so that we can have a conversation with you and get you set up to be baptized next week. And my hope is that nothing would keep your feet from coming down here and picking up one of those towels if you feel right now that that's the decision your, your Heavenly Father wants you to make, okay? So I'm going to pray um, real quick. If you've come prepared to give today, you can do that. By dropping the, in the buckets, you can give online through our app. It's probably the easiest way. Uh, and also in the back, we have some prayer stations. If you want to go write something out, uh, we'd love to partner with you in prayer in that way. So I'm going to pray, and then I'll encourage you to respond. Father, thanks again for today. Thanks for who you are and all that you've done in and through Jesus. And God, now we take a moment to remember that. And God, again, if there's somebody here today that needs to, in a sense, throw in the towel or wave the towel of surrender and come up and grab one of those towels and be ready to be baptized next week, God, that you would remove every obstacle. Right now, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, remove every obstacle to get them to come down and make that decision. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to respond.